If you walk into an ordinary Catholic parish, you get the feeling that things are going well for the Catholic Church in America. And they're just not. The numbers show that they're not. And that sense of complacency is a big part of the problem. Hi, I'm Chloe Lenger, and I'm here with Joe Heschmeyer, and this is The Catholic Podcast. It's a new podcast designed to explore what it is to be Catholic. So we're going to be covering everything from theology, to spirituality, to Catholic family life, to the state of the church today. So let's introduce ourselves. Well, first of all, Chloe, our host, is a Catholic wife, writer, and bibliophile. Uh, she writes for Epic Pew, as well as for her own blog, Old Fashioned Girl, which you can find at www.oldfashionedgirlblog.com. Joe Heschmeyer works for the Holy Family School of Faith, and he blogs over at Shameless Popery, which you can find at www.shamelesspopery.com. He used to be a litigator and a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas, and he got a degree in theology in Rome. Well, thanks for having me on the show, and let's uh, let's begin. So today's episode is called The State of Things. Yeah, so we figured this is a pilot episode of the podcast. And so the question we've got to ask is, why bother with a podcast? And the answer to that question requires us to take a serious look at the status quo. Part one, how bad is it? So this is a potentially boring or very depressing way to start a podcast. I think for you have a, a degree in history and law and theology, and I also graduated with a degree in history, so it's very much like, oh, I love, let me print out the numbers and <laughs> highlight them with my different highlighter colors. But for those of us who aren't that way, let's break down the numbers, and it's important to start with that. Yeah, so besides it just being both of our natural inclination to go for the numbers, <laughs> right. um, I think it's an important thing to get around the problem of invisibility. Mm -hmm. So what do I mean by that? You see the Catholics who come to church. This is almost a tautology. You know, on Easter Vigil, you're seeing the Catholics who are entering the church. Mm -hmm. You see the Catholics go to Mass every week. What don't you see? You don't see the people who aren't there. And of course you don't see them. They're not there. Right. But the problem is that the number of people who are leaving uh, is dwarfing the number of people coming in. Mm -hmm. And so the number of people who aren't being reached or who are walking away are... Are, they're, they're very serious problems, but they're invisible problems in a certain way. Like you just don't see those people. So to explore the numbers of this problem, we're going to be looking at articles in part one. And the first article that we'll look at is from The Crux, and it was published in 2015. And it's about how Catholicism is losing members faster than any other denomination. Yeah, and I think the numbers are as bad as the headline suggests. Um, it's based on a Pew research study. So Pew does a lot of um, research and. It's a good neutral uh, source where they just they survey people and say, okay, do you consider yourself Catholic, Baptist, whatever, were you raised Catholic? And so in the process, they just accumulate a lot of data mm -hmm. um, without having necessarily any particular agenda. And so Crux is quoting a Pew survey from 2015. And what it found uh, was that for every Catholic who converts more than six Catholics leave the church. So just graphically sort of uh, picture this. You've got the Easter Vigil. You've got all those Catholics standing up there with their sponsors. Now, if there were to be some sort of reverse vigil where Catholics left the church... Oh, 
It'd be depressing and we wouldn't want to go. (laughs) It would be depressing. You wouldn't want to go. But it would be massive also. It would be six of those Easter vigils in terms of just think about how full that church gets. And imagine six times that many people leaving Mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, the number of people coming in. Right. Uh, It's just incredibly grim. And I think it's easy for us to say, oh, well, that's just the way it is all around. You know, that's Mm -hmm. just culture. Uh, People don't care about religion like they used to. Um, But the numbers are actually especially bad for us. So this same study found that Catholicism is losing more members than it gains at a higher rate than any other denomination. Mm -hmm. So the hemorrhaging of of members is worse in Catholicism than any, like, Protestant denomination out there. And so ultimately they found that nearly 13% of all Americans... Um, describe themselves as former Catholics. Mm-hmm. And you know, in part two of the podcast, we'll get a little more into the former Catholics and also in the, the third of the four articles we're looking at here. Take a little bit deeper. We can't be content with this either. Like you've pointed out before in conversations before how like if this was outside of the church and if you were a business firm that was losing six clients for one that you'd bring in, that would be awful. Like there would be emergency meetings. Like why are we failing? And so it's easy for us to be like, yeah, you know, it's just like you said, like state of the world. This is just how it is. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we were selling widgets and for every person that, you know, added on like a, a new client, mm-hmm. we were losing six clients, there'd be weekly meetings saying, hey, we're in a crisis. Right. What, what can we do here? Um, and here, we're, of course, we're dealing with something infinitely more important than a widget. We're talking about the the key to salvation. If if we're very serious that the people that we love have eternal souls and that those souls might go to heaven or might go to hell and what they do in response to this question of Jesus Christ and the Catholic church is crucial Mm -hmm. for that eternal salvation. Our apathy and complacency in the face of just a shocking failure of evangelization and catechesis and formation Uh, is inexcusable, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. This article digs into two statistics when it comes to age and another hot-button topic, I think, in today's culture, just like millennials and their religion. So can you talk a little bit about average age of Catholics leaving the church and then what does it look like for millennial Catholics these days? Yeah, so the two stats that are particularly alarming regarding the trajectory of the problem are that the average age of Catholics has gone up four years, um, meaning that the average age of Catholics in 2007 was 45. The average age of Catholics in 2014, when the Pew study was um, like actually looking at, right. was up to 49. What that means, like average age is a pretty abstract measure, but it means that we're not getting young people mm-hmm. to replace the old people. So as people are, are getting older, as people are dying, those spots in the pews aren't being filled with new bodies they, you know like younger people aren't coming in the doors as older people are are dying or aging out or, or what have you mm-hmm. so you want um a younger average age because it shows that there's a lot of youth and vitality that more people are, are joining in at all walks of life right right i think it's easy to for complacency I mean, especially for me like looking you know i live in kansas city i'm very involved in like the young adult crowd so it's easy to look around and be like there's so many young adults we're all involved and to live in this little catholic bubble where it, the stats don't matter. You know, my friends are Catholic. So. Yeah, exactly. So that's another manifestation of this problem of invisibility. Mm-hmm. You can surround yourself with good Catholics and you can say maybe like, I don't really know a lot of people who aren't Catholic. or right. I don't really know. You, know, you can kind of create um, 
So here's the term. You can kind of create a virtual ghetto. Mm -hmm. You can surround yourself on Facebook with like-minded people. Yep. You can surround yourself at young adult events with like-minded people. And you can go your whole day, uh, whether in real life or electronically, without ever meeting anyone who isn't already where you are with the faith. And I'm not saying it's bad to surround yourself with Catholics and have like-minded people. I am saying it's bad if we blind ourselves to the reality that most people aren't on board. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was the first, anyway, that was the first of the two millennial stats. The other one, which is also bad, is that more than a third of millennials, and and for Pew, they're defining that as people born between 1981 and 1996, which at least I fall into. I slide by. I'm (laughs) I'm 95, so. (laughs) There you go. Uh, So more than a third of all millennials claim no affiliation. Mm -hmm. They're what they call nuns, N-O-N-E-S. And only 16% identify as Catholic. So we're losing to irreligiosity by at least a two-to-one margin Mm -hmm. among the young. Those numbers are unprecedented, and they're alarming, to say the least. So, I mean, one of the reasons I I think it's important to talk about the millennial numbers isn't to just be like, oh, millennials are everything. (laughs) But to combat a certain sort of narrative that you'll sometimes hear in Catholic circles. Mm -hmm. And the story basically goes like this. Like, things were going well, you know, prior to, like, the 50s or 60s, and there was a crazy period but now that crazy period is over and things are back on track. Mm-hmm. There's some truth to, like, there have been a lot of improvements in the last few decades. Yeah. But the hemorrhaging hasn't stopped and we aren't in a positive direction. So maybe we're accelerating towards the cliff at a slightly slower rate than we were before. We're still going but we're still, the yeah, cliff. we're still not just going towards it. We're still accelerating towards yeah. it, just maybe accelerating at a little slower pace. Yeah, yeah. Which is nothing to celebrate. <laughs> it's not, exactly. So we don't want to view that as a reversal. We don't want to view that as, oh, we've got the Great Awakening. It's, you know, everything is under control. And, you know, the problem is basically solved or it will be solved in just a matter of time. So we can't just run the clock and think that the problem is just going to get better Mm -hmm. on its own. So to get a better sense of how bad the crisis is and maybe to focus on those who've left the church, uh, let's look at another Uh, article from the Pew Research Center. Mm -hmm. This is from their fact tank from 2015 about baptized Catholics. So, Chloe, you want to break it down for us? Right. So, a majority of Catholic adults who are raised Catholic have left the Catholic Church. That's a shocking number. A majority. Yes. Yeah, very much so. That number breaks down a little bit. It breaks down into three portions. So, starting with the biggest portion, 28% of adults who are raised Catholic now consider themselves ex-Catholic. 13% of adults who are raised Catholic now would consider themselves culturally Catholic. And so we looked up what cultural Catholic means. Right. <laughs> Good to have a definition. <laughs> uh, and it's people who consider themselves Catholic maybe by ancestry mm-hmm. or ethnicity, but don't identify themselves with Catholicism on the basis of religion. So they, you know... They might have a Catholic last name. Or right. <laughs> right. These are the people who are like, I'm German, so I'm Catholic. Or, yeah, I'm, I'm Irish. Irish. <laughs> I'm, I'm Polish. You right, know, whatever. right. And that means I have to be Catholic. Yeah. So, yeah, for that definition of cultural Catholicism, it's really good to have, like, going into this, into these numbers. And, I mean, at first, like, when my first impression when I heard this was, okay, just lump them in with ex-Catholics. Mm-hmm. But it, when they looked closer at the data, we'll talk about this more in part two, mm-hmm. but I was fascinated that the cultural Catholics were so much more open 
to coming back to the Catholic Church right. than out and out ex Catholics. Yeah, like they have a little seed, like they know there's some goodness there and they want it. Yeah, they whatever and a third of them gave up something for Lent. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're kind of invested. They want yeah, they want to they know yeah, that there's something there's, there. There's a string still tying them to the faith in right. some way. Okay. Right. So 28% of those baptized Catholic leave the Catholic Church and become ex Catholic. Mm-hmm. 13% become cultural Catholic. Mm-hmm. What about the rest? So the final 11% are reverts. So they're reverted and they've returned to Catholicism. Okay, so these are people who became nothing or became Protestant or became right. whatever. Right. And then came back to the Catholic Church. Yes. So you got 28, 13, and 11. For those listeners who aren't great at math, <laughs> yeah. that comes to 52% of baptized Catholics left the Catholic Church at some point. of baptized Catholics leave the church so far permanently. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then 48% never left. Right. So fewer than half. If you were to take a, you know, say a first grade class of Mm -hmm. 100 baptized Catholics, which is, that's too large for a class. (laughs) Poor teacher. Yes. (laughs) Then 28 of those kids are going to leave, become ex-Catholic. 13 are going to kind of go through the motions, maybe never show up to mass, but they'll kind of consider themselves Catholic. Right. 11 are going to leave and come back, and then 48 are going to stick around. Those aren't good numbers. No, no. I think, too, for the 11% of reverts, I think it's very easy to be like, well, you know, I had a friend who left the Catholic faith in college, but when she got married, she came back to the Catholic Church because they had kids and they wanted to have them baptized. Yeah, so this is a, a really important cultural phenomenon. So I think about a generation ago, there was really this trend where you'd have people drift away from the faith mm-hmm. in college and then they'd come back when it was time to get married and raise a family. But think about how the average age for marriage is, is creeping up. And yeah. people are waiting longer and longer to get married. Mm-hmm. Which means that they might be longer and longer away from the church. So if you're gone for 10, 15 years, probably the ties to the Catholic Church are so attenuated at that point. Right. You're not even going to bother with the Catholic wedding. And, and certainly the numbers show that... Fewer and fewer people care about having a wedding at all. Yep. And those who do care, fewer and fewer care about having a Catholic wedding. And so the numbers are they're just atrocious. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right. Like, we can't just assume the kind of cycle of reversion right. is going to just naturally happen. So the third article that we're going to be looking at is an older Pew Research article. This one is back from 2009, but it's called Leaving Catholicism. And it's a series of interviews with people who have left the Catholic Church. Yeah, so... There's a whole section where they ask people their main reasons for leaving Catholicism. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the reasons uh, I thought were sort of surprising, both in terms of what was on there and what was maybe less of an influence than, than you might expect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the first statistic, this is looking at people who are not affiliated with any religion at all anymore. And when they, you know, the reason for leaving Catholicism, do not they don't believe in God, that's only 4% of them. Yeah, I mean, you might expect... These are, remember, these are people who leave, and it's not like they become Protestant. These are people who become nothing. They become just unaffiliated, maybe spiritual but not religious. Yep, yep. That sort of thing. And so you might say, oh, okay, these people left because they stopped believing in God. Or Mm -hmm. these people left because they no longer believe in Jesus. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But only like one in 25 people said that was the case for them. That's, I mean, that's a very surprising number. That was one of the ones that jumped out to me, at least. Yeah. Uh, this is a, we'll jump down to the second statistic, which is going to be talking about pedophilia, scandal, molestation. And that's something that you see in the news all the time when it comes to Catholicism. That seems really popular. But the numbers when those are the, you know, when that's the answer to the question, that number is surprisingly small too. Yeah. So 
2% of those who are now unaffiliated, 3% of those who are now Protestant, said that they left principally because of the pedophilia scandal. And so certainly it didn't help the evangelical efforts of the Catholic Church. But we don't want to overestimate how much damage that did in isolation. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't just say, oh, of course people aren't becoming Catholic. Look at all these scandals in the news. Mm -hmm. At least the people themselves, at least the ones leaving, they're not saying that's why they're leaving. Right. Uh, Most of them aren't. And the last statistic that just deals with this group of people specifically is the 4% of people who say, you know, I just drifted away. I I just don't want to go to church anymore. Yeah, it's hard to know what to make of this stat because this is also really low. Mm -hmm. That just 4% um, said that they just fell away or just drifted away in this survey. And it may be that this is a case of people wanting to sort of dress up their reasons Mm -hmm. as being a little more uh, theological or a little more intellectual when really it was just like, an hour a week was too much of a commitment. Right. Um, so it's hard to say, but only, again, 1 in 25% of people mm-hmm. who are now unaffiliated but were raised Catholic or who were Catholic before said it, said they just drifted away. So what you might be asking, like, okay, so those are reasons that it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the reasons? Mm-hmm. And there's there's not just one majority reason. But the largest single thing is religious teachings at 41%. That's too vague to be very helpful. Yeah, very much so. But the largest like subset under that is 21% said they do not believe in their former religion or any religion. Mm-hmm. One of the two. So in other words, if we're going to extrapolate from the data, mm-hmm. what we can say is that the people who are now unaffiliated, people who they left Catholicism and didn't become something else, they stopped believing in the Catholic Church. They might. They seem to still believe in God. Seem to still believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem to be where the problem is. Is that they've stopped seeing any need to be Catholic or seeing any benefit um, in being Catholic. Um, so those are the unaffiliated. Let's let's turn our attention, I guess, to Protestants. And and here the Pew survey is helpful in breaking down between evangelical mm-hmm. Christians and the so-called mainline Protestants. Your mainline Protestants are more of the established churches that. They tend to be more doctrinally and theologically liberal. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're different in terms of their character. So looking at these statistics, was there anything that surprised you in these statistics as much as when we looked at none? Well, for those who, uh, who left Catholicism because they said they got saved or they accepted Jesus Christ or they got born again, mm-hmm. that was 1% of mainliners, which if anything is almost a little high. Yeah. And 7% of evangelicals. Mm -hmm. There's a stereotype of ex-Catholics that says, oh yeah, ex-Catholics, they grew up without much of a relationship with Christ. Mm -hmm. They found a relationship with Christ outside of the the Catholic Church. And so therefore they reject the Catholic Church as being like unchristian or or whatever. Right. And there are some people, I mean, clearly 7% is not a small number. Something, yeah. But let's not exaggerate it. Let's not pretend it's bigger than it is. Yeah. Um, A couple other... Numbers that I think were were interesting. The biblical and scriptural reasons. Mm-hmm. About a quarter of Catholics who became evangelical cited a biblical or scriptural reason. Mm-hmm. They twenty four percent. So you know something in the Bible. They didn't see why the Catholic Church taught X, Y, or Z, mm-hmm. and some evangelical church convinced them that it would be better to be evangelical. Something like that. Right. That's twenty four percent for evangelicals. For mainline Protestants, it's only four percent. Mm-hmm. So. People becoming like Episcopalian or becoming Disciples of Christ or becoming one of these mainline Methodist denominations, right. they're not really leaving over some sort of biblical conviction. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they're more likely to leave because they just stop believing what the Catholic Church says, or maybe never did. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other stat that's helpful to know, um, can be kind of frustrating, but helpful to know, is 17% of Protestants who were originally Catholic mm-hmm. uh, became Protestant because of what they call family reasons. So maybe they married someone who wasn't Catholic, or you know their family converted, so they, they switched, something like that. Mm-hmm. These are reasons that they're not even going to pretend this was some sort of carefully reasoned sort right. of theological thing. Um, breaking those numbers down, that's 12% of evangelicals and 29% of mainliners. So mainline Protestants, seven times, more than seven times more likely to leave because of family reasons than scriptural reasons. Mm-hmm. Evangelicals are twice as likely to leave because of scriptural reasons than family reasons. So you get a very diff- three different pictures kind of emerge between those who sort of uh, just lose faith in the Catholic Church in the case of unaffiliated who maybe lose faith in organized religion in general. Right. Evangelicals who have some sort of scriptural crisis with why does the Catholic Church teach this? Right. And then mainliners who just uh, maybe it's a family thing or something that isn't really a theological problem um, at root. Digging into the data, we're going to look closer at weekly religious attendance among those who are raised Catholic and very strong faith among those who are raised Catholic. And can you tell us about the three groups of people that we see emerge from that data? Yeah, so the three groups are basically, first, the barely bears who fall away from the faith. Uh, Second, the converts to Protestantism. And third, those who stay Catholic. So can you tell us a little bit more about those who are barely there or who have fallen away from the faith? Yeah, the reason I call them barely theirs are because a good predictor of people who will eventually fall away from the faith is that they never really had a very strong connection. They were the least likely to report um, going to weekly mass in childhood or in adolescence. They're the least likely to say they had a very strong faith in childhood or adolescence. So even in childhood at their apex, only 30% of them said they had a very strong faith. And that number ultimately is going to drop to 12%. Mm -hmm. The weekly mass rate drops from 74% to 2% for any sort of weekly church service. So they they wander away, but there's a sense that they didn't have a very strong connection uh, to begin with. So, yeah, I mean, I'm reminded of 1 John 2.19, which says, They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But by going out, they made it plain that none of them belongs to us. Now, I don't want to say that none of them mm-hmm. ever had uh, a strong faith. Clearly, 30% of them claim that they did. Right. But I do want to say that compared to the other two groups, this is a group that was integrated uh, the most poorly into the church at all stage. Uh, so, it, you know, the final moment of them walking away... Mm-hmm was probably precipitated by maybe a couple decades of poor catechesis or maybe poor formation in the home or in the school and just a failure to ever really receive the faith in a personal way. The second group we're looking at is people who were raised Catholic but then have converted to Protestantism. What does religious attendance for them look like and how is their faith doing? So broadly speaking, they were less active and less faithful in childhood and adolescence. But they become actually the most faithful uh, and the most devout after uh, their conversion, Mm -hmm. seemingly. So they actually are doing the best in terms of weekly religious attendance. Uh, They're beating us 63 to 42. That's crazy. 
And among those who say they have very strong faith, it's 71 to 46 compared to those in the third group, the ones who remain Catholic. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating, too, for the weekly religious attendance, because a lot of Protestant denominations don't have an obligation for Sunday Mass. The Catholics do. Sunday is a day of obligation. Exactly. So you have to consider that some of the people in that 42 Mm -hmm. are only going because the church says they have to. Mm -hmm. So if you look at a sort of enthusiasm gap, I think it's even more pronounced than the numbers might suggest. The final group we're looking at is Catholics who were raised Catholic and they're still Catholic. What does their faith life look like according to the data? So, I mean, as we just heard, uh, they're doing worse. Mm-hmm. Only 42% of them go to Mass every week. Only 46% of them say they have a very strong faith. And so the fact that someone says that they remain Catholic, mm-hmm. the fact they haven't left to become unaffiliated or become Protestant or something else... Mm-hmm doesn't mean that they're on fire for Jesus Christ or have a personal relationship or even do the basics Mm -hmm. of what the church calls for. Um, But there are still some signs of hope. I Mm -hmm. mean, obviously, these are the people who are still in the pews when a lot of other people are leaving. And um, one particular sign of hope is that these were the people who, even in childhood, were most likely to go to Mass Mm -hmm. and most likely to say they had a very strong faith. Mm -hmm. And so parents out there, you know, putting in the hard work, of bringing your kids to Mass and the harder work of instilling a living faith in your kids, there's good data to say that will pay off. Mm -hmm. The numbers for very strong faith are especially interesting. 46% say they have a very strong faith now. 46% said they had a very strong faith in childhood. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a pretty good indicator, and it's, it's much better than those who become unaffiliated or those who become Protestant. The childhood numbers are, are pretty dramatic. And so parents who are really doing their jobs well um, can take solace in the fact that even though there's a dip, a decline in the teenage years mm-hmm. where they seem to get lukewarm and seem to wander away from the faith, that group is the most likely to come back to a, a real living faith and weekly mass attendance. It's worth putting in the work for. for exactly. Sure. So now that we've talked about those who leave the Catholic Church, let's talk about those who stay. So we already got a sense from the last set of stats that just because someone remains Catholic, it doesn't mean that they're on fire for their faith or that they're weekly mass goers, that they really believe what the Catholic Church believes. So most of them aren't going to mass on Sunday. Most of them aren't saying they have a very strong faith. Right. And that's among those who stay. Mm-hmm. So the fourth article is a Pew Forum report from 2015 that's called U.S. Catholics Open to Non-Traditional Families. So, Chloe, what percentage of self-described Catholics... I believe that it's a sin to use contraceptives. You're looking at 17%. That's sad. Yeah, that is very sad. It's a very slim number. Mm -hmm. Um, What about living with a romantic partner outside of marriage, cohabitating? So 33% of Catholics think that that's a sin still. So about one in three. Right. What about getting remarried um, after getting divorced without an annulment? So looking at that statistic for Catholics, only 35% of them think that that's a sin. So again, just a hair over one in three. Just a smidge. Um, And then finally, what about engaging in homosexual behavior? So this one you have a a bigger percentage. So 44% of Catholics think that that's a sin. Yeah, but even even with the larger percent, we're looking at a majority who aren't convinced that it's a sin to use contraceptives, to cohabitate, to get divorced and remarried without an annulment, Mm -hmm. um, and to engage in homosexual behavior. Mm -hmm. All right, well, let's see how many of them want to change the teachings of the Catholic Church then. Yep. what percentage want to uh, get the church to allow Catholics to use birth control? So when you ask them that question, 76% will answer that that should be a church teaching this change. Wow. So over three quarters. Right. Yeah. 
and then another 5% don't yeah, know. They're enough. just like, uh, maybe. maybe. Yeah, that sounds like it could be a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about allowing cohabitating Catholics to receive communion? I know that's been in the news a lot. Yeah, very much so. So 61% think that that should be something that's changed within the Catholic Church as well. Okay. And what about uh, divorce and remarried without an annulment? Really close number to the last statistic. You're looking at 62%. It's interesting that they're more okay with a divorce yeah. and remarriage situation with, mm-hmm. than cohabitating, even though we don't recognize the second marriage right. if there's not, you know, a sacramental marriage. Yeah. Uh, and then finally... This is a, this was a number that I was actually surprised by. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what percentage of Catholics think that the church should recognize the marriages of gay and lesbian couples? So 46%, right under the 50% mark. And it looked like 46% versus 46% with 8% kind of in the mushy middle. Right. So Catholics are pretty evenly split on whether we should just totally revamp our understanding of the sacraments yeah. and of marriage so that... You know, we, we now accept homosexuality as just, like, a normal thing that's yeah. now a sacramental union. Right, which is not a small thing. It's not like, oh, this is a tiny change. Like, this is a very much, like, foundational issue. Yeah, so, of course, you know, as we said, that's just self-described Catholics. Right. And those numbers are going to break down somewhat um, on the basis of whether you've got weekly mass going Catholics versus those who, who don't go very frequently. So, I, I fortunately, Pew actually breaks down the numbers for us. Mm-hmm. So we were talking about the homosexual behavior before. Mm-hmm. Um, mass going Catholics, 59% of them think that it's a sin to engage in homosexual behavior. Mm-hmm. That's still very low. Yep. It means that like four in 10 uh, Catholics in the pews on Sunday, every Sunday, aren't convinced this is a sin. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's still a 24% spread. Catholics who attend mass less often than weekly, only 35% of them think that homosexuality is sinful mm-hmm. in terms of homosexual behavior. Right. Uh, I think we see a similar spread for cohabitating, you know, living together outside of marriage. 46% of weekly masculine Catholics thinks that's sinful. Mm-hmm. So again, less than half, uh, but less than a quarter of less um, devout Catholics think that it's sinful, only 24%. Mm-hmm. And those numbers are almost identical for divorce and remarriage without an annulment. Um, and then another stat that I think was surprising, you know, we talked a second ago about the very close split about recognizing same-sex marriages. Mm-hmm. The percent who say the church should not recognize same-sex marriages is 41% for unfaithful, meaning like less than right. weekly mass-going Catholics, but only 54% for weekly mass-going Catholics. Mm-hmm. So it's about 50-50 yep. in the pews. And then a majority of Catholics won't affirm that we shouldn't allow cohabitating Catholics to receive communion. That was a confusing way to put that. Let me yeah, put that a little different. <laughs> yes. So the percentage who say the Catholic Church should not allow cohabitating Catholics to receive communion is 48% uh, for weekly mass goers, 26% for less frequent. Mm-hmm. And then for divorced and remarried, 42% say no, and 24% of less frequent say no, they shouldn't receive communion. Mm-hmm. So it means that like across the board, we have a big crisis. Like, let's step back and sort of paint a cumulative picture. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, one in six as the ratio. So for every Catholic we're bringing in, six are leaving. Mm-hmm. We've got the fact that a majority of those who were baptized as Catholics in their childhood, were raised Catholic, will leave the Catholic Church. And most of those who leave never return. At least so far. We can be hopeful. <laughs> um, and then we have the fact that those who remain Catholic... Uh, tend to be less faithful, less devout than those who leave and become Protestant or to their new affiliation. Mm-hmm. 
and that the ones who who remain Catholic tend not to believe what the church believes. Yeah. (laughs) And so, amazingly, the crisis is worse than you would get from any one of those numbers in isolation. Right, yeah. Looking at them all paints an even more gloomy picture than looking at them individually. So this is all... (laughs) This is great! Very bleak. (laughs) What a way to start a podcast. (laughs) Um, So, I guess the next thing we need to ask is what can be done. Part two. What can be done? So I think the first thing we've got to talk about is just recognizing that there is a crisis. The reason we just went through all of those depressing stats was so that no one can say everything is going okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you read Catholic media, if you read, like, diocesan newsletters and parish bulletins and everything else, it'd be very easy to walk away with the sense that there's no problem. Mm -hmm. And we have to be shaken out of that complacency. Um, I'm reminded here of the guy called Baghdad Bob. So he was... Uh, notorious, I guess. Mm-hmm. He was the Minister of Information in Iraq in 2003 while the U.S. is invading. And he had these, like, really sunny media reports where he acted like there was no problem. Mm-hmm. And so at one point he says that the Americans, quote, are going to surrender or be burned in their tanks. They will surrender. It is they who will surrender. End quote. And, like, he was a laughingstock of the world. Right. You know, he's trying to put a good spin on things. He's trying to be a good diplomat. But everyone sees... That there's a problem for the Iraqi forces. That mm-hmm. they're losing this and losing badly. And he's out there just saying, nope, no problem. Everything is going, going great. Good. And so often we sound like that. Mm-hmm. Like, no one is blind to the fact that people are leaving the Catholic Church. Right. Um, and, and if they are, that's a shocking blindness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take much awareness to realize that people are leaving the Catholic Church in droves. And meanwhile, we still have, like, Catholic publications saying... Everything is great. Come to the social on Sunday. <laughs> We're having a fish fry on Friday night. Swing on by. Yeah. So I guess the first step is just recognizing that there is a problem. Because if you don't recognize that, you're not going to solve it. Right. This gets back to the widget thing earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, if this was a company and it was losing six people for everyone it was winning its mm-hmm. customers, they would they'd go back to the drawing board and say, what do we need to change? Mm-hmm. So the second thing I'd suggest is we just reject the status quo. Now, I'm not saying throw out tradition. I'm not saying reject what works. But I am saying that it's not good enough to say this is the way we've always done things or this is the way that we've been doing things for a decade or this is the way that like the small group of people who still come to mass like doing things. Mm -hmm. So let's not change. Because the way we've been doing things just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You know, another thing, there's, we'll call it a polka mass problem. Let's say you've got a parish Of 10,000 people. That's too large for a parish, but it's a nice round number. (laughs) And let's say that some of the parishioners, 500 of them, Mm -hmm. love polka music. And so they insist (laughs) on having polka masses every Sunday. Uh And pretty soon, you're down to like 700 parishioners from your original 10,000. Now, part of you might say, hey, do you think the polka masses were a problem? But if you were to ask the people in the pews, 500 of the remaining 700 are like, no, the polka masses are great. Right. And so sometimes this small in-group is actually doing things that alienate everyone else. But because they're the only ones left standing, they have a disproportionate say Mm -hmm. in how things get done. Mm -hmm. So being willing to question the status quo and question the insiders who are kind of invested. You know, these are the people who've maybe been in the parish administration for decades, the people who have been determining things liturgically for a while. They're used to having their way. They have an outsized role in sort of doing what they want. But if there's not fruit being born, if you're just watching the parish shrivel on the vine and die, mm-hmm. 
you can't just say, well, you know, this small cabal of powerful people wants to just, like, have things exactly their way. And it's alienating everyone else, and it's causing the parish to risk closing. But we got to keep doing it their way. They're going to write an angry letter to the bishop. Right. That's not a good enough answer. No. So I think this whole rejecting or questioning the status quo includes questioning those who might be very happy with the way things are going. Mm -hmm. We should be alarmed by anyone who is very happy with the way things are going Mm -hmm. because things are going very badly. Right. So then that leads us to also like removing this cloak of invisibility that there are Catholics who have left that we don't see in the pews and we need to get to know them and their stories and not just, oh, you're not in the church anymore. Here's a cookie cutter reason why you're not in the church anymore. Right. It's easy for us either to not address um, the fact that people have left the Catholic church or to just give some sort of flippant, um, overly simplistic reason for why they left. Mm-hmm. And But the, maybe the biggest problem is just, like we were talking about earlier, there's the Catholics that you see, who are the ones who are still on board, and then there are all those who have left. So one of the reasons for these numbers mm-hmm. is to pull back that cloak of invisibility and say, hey, here is the one Catholic that you see come into the church. Mm-hmm. Did you know these other six have been quietly leaving the church? Yep. And for a wide variety of reasons, Mm -hmm. what are we going to do about them? Right. So then to step in and get to know them better, there are five categories then of people that we need to look through. So just quickly to go through those, they are Catholics who left to become Protestant, Catholics who leave and they aren't affiliated with any religion. They become nothing. Catholics who stay Catholic, but are cultural Catholics. Yeah, they maybe don't believe what the Catholic Church believes. Right. People who were never Catholic at all, but they're they're interested in the Catholic Church. There's a possibility. And then, finally, people who were never Catholic at all, and they show no signs of leaving the faith. Yeah, so exactly. I think those five groups of people exist. Some of them are currently in the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Some were in for a while and aren't now. Some aren't in, but maybe could become Catholic someday. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to be serious about evangelization we should figure out how to reach all five of those groups of people, which even within those groups. Subgroups, subdivided. Right. And to the point that like every individual has their own story for conversion, but every individual who leaves the church also has their own reason for kind of the exodus. Like what made them think their life would be better not being Catholic or what made them decide to stop identifying as Catholic? Where where did things go wrong? Mm -hmm. And it may be years before the actual decision uh, not to call themselves Catholic. Right. So, gloom, gloom, gloom. Let's talk about hope. Hope. <laughs> but this is going to be hope in a very gloomy context. Right, it's very gloomy hope, if that, if that is Yeah, because, <laughs> well, you know, we've been talking about this sort of sense of complacency that we often mm-hmm. get into as Catholics. And I think it's easy to be judgmental about it and just say, like, oh, the parish here doesn't care about evangelization. Or they don't care about all these people leaving. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of cases, at least... I mean, here we're running into the problem of anecdotes. Right, in my case. In in my experience, Mm -hmm. a lot of the complacency that you see is really kind of a battle weariness. Mm -hmm. It's a frustration and an exhaustion. If you're running, you know, St. Margaret's Church, and you've been running it for three decades, or maybe you're in the parish administration, maybe you're the priest, maybe you're just in the pews. Yeah, yeah. And you care about the people. You care about the people who you're with. And you slowly watch more and more of them leave the church. Or you care about the people who you wish came, but you don't know how to bring them into the church. Mm-hmm. After year after year after year of things getting worse and worse and showing no signs of changing, it's easy to just feel hopeless. It's yep. easy to just want to give up. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the things we need to do 
to combat that is is to cling to the hope of Christ. Right? He's already won the victory. The resurrection is real. Mm-hmm. And if our hope isn't firmly in him, we can easily fall into a sort of despair looking at these kind of numbers. So that brings us to the topic of the new evangelization. And it's kind of a Catholic buzzword that you hear tossed around a lot. So can you Yeah, what, what, you, yeah. you tell me, what does JP2 mean by the new evangelization? He's the one who coins the term. How right. does he describe it? Right. So when we're looking at his definition, we're looking into an encyclical. And so Redemptoris Missio. Oh, hey, I was, hey, I came pretty close to it. Hey, well, it's not too shabby. Quote, there is an intermediate situation, particularly in countries with ancient Christian roots, and occasionally in the younger churches as well, where entire groups of the baptized have lost a sense of the faith, or even no longer consider themselves members of the church, and live a life far removed from Christ and his gospel. And in this case, what is needed is a new evangelization, or a re-evangelization, end quote. So that was a really helpful quote Mm -hmm. to me, uh, because... You hear the term, at least in Catholic circles, I don't know, podcast listeners, how many of them <laughs> run in these circles, but you hear the term new evangelization thrown mm-hmm. around, and every endeavor wants to call itself the new evangelization. Yep. It's, it's very trendy right now. Mm-hmm. But it's re-evangelization. Right. So classically, evangelization was, hey, here's you know this pagan group in northern Germany that's never heard the gospel. Mm-hmm. We're going to go bring it to them. Here's some missionaries coming up from Italy or wherever, right, or right. from Ireland. And that's just not really the situation we find ourselves in. Mm-hmm. Now you've got people who were raised in a fairly Catholic, fairly Christian, anyway, culture, but who don't have a living sense of the faith mm-hmm. or who no longer consider themselves members of the church. Right. It's the people we've been talking about throughout this segment. Yep. Um, and so reaching them is going to be just a very different problem than reaching someone who's literally never heard of who Jesus Christ is. Right. I think it's easy, especially when you hear the word missionary or mission, to think like, oh, I need to pack my suitcase and get on a flight and fly up to some country. And then the reality is, is that it's a mission field in your own backyard. It's a mission field at your workplace. Yeah, I think that's a great example. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very easy, like you said, to just think of uh, missionary efforts as being elsewhere. Right. But if you think of it as also reaching Catholics who've lost their zeal mm-hmm. or lost their identity with the church, you probably don't have to look very far right. to find those people. Um, but it also, I think one of the interesting things about the new evangelization mm-hmm. is how much emphasis the church has put on the role of the laity. So this isn't just like you and me as as lay Catholics running yeah. the podcast. This is... You know, actually, the Catholic Church emphasizes in Lumen Gentium and the writings of JP two mm-hmm. that there's a special role for the laity in evangelization. And I like to use the example of uh, just a, an ordinary Catholic who's wandered away. We'll call her Mrs. Jones. Mm-hmm. If Mrs. Jones was a daily mass goer in a small parish, and one day she just stops coming, the priest might notice, and he might, you know, ring her up on the phone yeah. and say, "Hey, I noticed you're not coming. Are you feeling okay? Is everything going all right? Do mm-hmm. you need to sit down and talk?" And that it's great. That's how things ought to work. That's not how things work right now. Nope. Because most Catholics aren't Mrs. Jones in the pews. Mm-hmm. They, if uh, they go at all, they go maybe weekly. Mm-hmm. They go in very large parishes where if they drop off the face of the parish, nobody notices. They can easily slip through the cracks. Right. And many of them stopped going to church decades ago. Mm-hmm. So the priest doesn't even know this hypothetical Mrs. Jones. Yeah, yeah. So unless he's just calling up every Catholic in the phone book or everyone who looks like they might have a Catholic sounding last name. This is a good German name. <laughs> right. Yep. Um, then he's just never going to come in contact with them. Mm-hmm. 
And the priest has so many things going on within the context of the parish that he doesn't really have time in a real sense to just go and go to your office and try to find Mrs. Jones. Mm -hmm. So if Mrs. Jones is your friend or your coworker or an aunt or like a child of yours, Mm -hmm. the priest probably doesn't have direct one-on-one contact or the kind of relationship or rapport to have a meaningful, intentional conversation about Jesus Christ. But you know who is right, right there on the front line? You. Yep. Us. Yep. And so if we're not evangelizing our workplaces, Mm -hmm. if we're not evangelizing our families, if we're not evangelizing our circle of friends, we're the ones who the Holy Spirit placed in the lives of these people. And if we fall down on the job because we don't feel comfortable doing it, we've done a huge disservice to the people we love most. I think for a lot of us, I know for me personally, again, anecdotal, there have been a lot of times where Mrs. Jones is sitting in the airplane seat next to me and I don't want to have a conversation with her because I'm, I don't know the answers. I'm going to, you know, if this doesn't end with her asking me to be my, my RCIA sponsor, then I don't know if I can dive into this because I don't know if I'm the right person. So how do we get past that fear of our evangelizing as Catholics? Yeah, this is one of the silver linings to the earlier stats we were looking at as to why people leave. Mm -hmm. A lot of them don't leave for intellectual theological reasons. Mm -hmm. A lot of them leave because they just had like bad relationships with someone in the church or they have good relationships with someone outside the church. Right. And it tends to move along these relational lines. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like not every Catholic is a brilliant theologian. Mm -hmm. But every Catholic can show the love of Christ and can show the light of Christ. Mm -hmm. And that's naturally attractive. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, if, and on the flip side, if you're a brilliant theologian and don't show the love of Christ, no one's going to want that. No one wants to just be like argued into the Catholic church. Right. But to be winsome, to be friendly, Mm -hmm. to be, you know, warm in relation and to have kind of an intentional friendship there. Right. And to have meaningful conversations, which you absolutely can have on the mm-hmm. plane. Yeah, very so. Um, those kind of conversations can make a, a big difference. Plus, I think the other thing to remember, like you said, maybe it won't end with you being asked to be RCAA sponsor, mm-hmm. but you can sow the seed and just trust the Holy Spirit that he'll reap and that someone else may, you know, bear the fruit later on, right. but that you can play a small role. Maybe a role you won't see this type of side of eternity. Yeah, and it's, it's cliche, but to sum it up, like people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so if you're not going to sit down and listen to their story, they could care less about what you're going to tell them about the Catholic faith. Yeah, exactly. This is, so Mike Shearslick, who's the head of the School of Faith, the mm-hmm. group that I work for now, uh, has a kind of dual friendship model mm-hmm. where he says we need two things. And these are very simple things in, in a sense. They're hard to live, but they're easy to understand. The first is friendship with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. If we aren't daily nurturing that friendship, like this needs to be the absolute center of our life. So we need intentional uh, meditative prayer to grow in relationship with Jesus because we can't give to someone else what we don't have ourselves. And then the second is intentional friendship with others, Mm -hmm. leading them to Christ. And so, you know, if you talk to people why they became Catholic, sometimes it's, oh, I read this book and it totally rocked my world. Mm -hmm. Almost invariably. Either instead of or in addition to that, it's that there was some Catholic who was willing to walk with them and show them the living, you know, church. Because here's the thing. The church isn't just a theory. And Jesus isn't just a theory. Jesus is a person who invites us into relationship. Mm -hmm. He's incarnate and he's living. And his church is an extension of the incarnation. It's the living presence of Christ in the world. And 
walking with someone and inviting into inviting them into that real human friendship and relationship mm-hmm. is crucial in evangelization. And you don't need to be a brilliant theologian to do that. You just need to be willing to be inconvenienced to be a friend. Mm-hmm. So having said all that, <laughs> you may be wondering like, what does that mean for this podcast? I'll tell you. That's the purpose of this podcast. That's the whole point. Exactly. So, I mean, obviously, we can't be friends with everyone listening in. We'd like to, but that's a lot of coffee dates. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the schedules don't permit. <laughs> so what we can do is just kind of invite you into this friendship. Mm-hmm. And we'll share and discuss what excites us, what concerns us, what motivates us to be Catholic, and about our own relationships with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. It'll be me and Chloe often, or it'll be some other special guest mm-hmm. with Chloe. Uh, but just working within the context of a real friendship and a real kind of conversation about Christ and about the church. And I mean, as you can imagine, that kind of conversation isn't going to look the same every week. Every right. podcast episode is probably going to look a little different. And we're going to cover a wide range of conversation. It'll be sometimes intellectual, theological, spiritual, maybe just very pragmatic about mm-hmm. Catholic family life. Mm-hmm. But all of it should be exploring what it is to live in that dual friendship. How are we friends with Christ? And how are we friends with our neighbor? Perfect. So to sum it up, in part one of this podcast, we talked about how gloomy it is and how bad it is statistic-wise in the Catholic Church right now. In the second part, what can be done, we dug into a little bit of gloom and had a sliver of hope, the new evangelization, and tackled that as a sneak peek for the next part of the series. We're, we're almost in Lent. It's right around the corner. So we'll be digging into the characters of the Passion and the figures of Lent. So looking at the Virgin Mary, John, the beloved apostle, Judas, Peter, Mary Magdalene, and the Holy, the Holy Women of Holy Week and digging into their stories. So thanks, Joe, for joining us. Thank you, Chloe. Let's close in prayer. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.